Hello and welcome to the Transmaps podcast. I'm your host, Callie, and on this first episode, I'm presenting a lovely selection of contributions from the Transmaps archive. If you don't know about Transmaps, it's a project celebrating trans identities from across the world. The website is a kind of hub to access recordings of the different trans stories, which are presented in a sound map interface design with little trans flag location pins on the map, which you can click on and listen to the stories. The stories featured are eclectic in content and length. Some are coming out stories, others are when people first discovered their identity, or any other sort of queer anecdote. But they were all a celebration of what it means to be trans, and the lived experience that comes with that. If you'd like to check it out, please access it via my website, callymichelle.hotglue.me. And if you have any questions or you'd like to contribute, just drop me an email, it's on the website. So, without further ado, I'll leave it to the people to tell their tales. I'll introduce each one as we go along. This first one is from Jack, pronouns he, him, they, them. And his location is Canaga Park, which is in Los Angeles, USA. I am a trans man. I am 20 years old, and I came out seven years ago. I came out to a lot of my family individually, and some of the stories are quite funny, and some not so much. Um, but the very first person that I came out to was my aunt, by accident. Uh, at the time, I was still trying to figure out exactly what I was feeling and what I identified as, and honestly, I still am. Uh, but I was trying to write a letter, basically. And I was trying to get the right words, and I had written quite a few different drafts. It was just, I was having a hard time. Uh, but I kept these drafts in the inside pocket of a denim vest that I wore religiously. I'm talking daily. I love this vest. Um, but at the time, she was still doing my laundry and, of course, took my vest with the drafts. Um, and I was completely oblivious because, of course, I was. Um, but long story short, a couple days later, we were watching TV together and she addresses the elephant in her room. All the blood drains from my face. I'm starting to freak out. I wasn't ready to be addressing this. Uh, but in conclusion, she was incredibly supportive of my questioning, freaking out 13-year-old self and helped me seek out the resources that I needed to transition as a young adult. Um, but I have a happy story and I'm incredibly thankful for the support and love that I received from her and I would not be where I am or who I am without her. Thank you very much, Jack. Our next story is from Kelly, pronouns they, them. And their location is Leesburg, which is in Virginia, USA. All right, we're going to start with the basic info. I grew up in Northern Virginia, and it wasn't that far from Washington, D.C. So when I was in seventh grade, which is uh, usually you're 12 or 13 years old, we had to do a project at the end of the year um, just about some notable person that we wanted to choose. And then it was called the Wax Figure Museum Project. So in essence, you make some type of presentation, then you dress up as your character, and then you show up and you present to the class because we were learning about how to structure a biography. And that was mainly the lesson on hand. The part that I was excited about was obviously the dressing up part. So I'm a theater major and just wearing costumes and creating characters and being someone else has been appealing to me my entire life. And so for this project, I remember going in and my classmates were all just thrilled. Like people were either choosing 
just the really famous females that everyone knows, like Amelia Earhart, or girls wanted to dress up as Marilyn Monroe because they then they could wear some party city costume to class and put makeup on for the day and their mom would allow it. And so I decided to be Al Capone. And I can't remember exactly why that was what I wanted to do. I think I was interested in... Oh, I do remember why. So there's that song, uh, The Night Chicago Died, and my mom used to play that all the time because it was on this 70s party track that she had. It was definitely a pirated mixtape of 70s party classics, but I grew up listening to it, and so I never knew what the song was about. And then when I was old enough to know that it was about Al Capone... I was like, yeah, that seems like a great person to do this notable figure project on. So I did my project. I presented my poster board. I spent so much time. And honestly, I think it sort of turned into me persuading the class why Al Capone wasn't a bad person. It's like they get it wrong. Like they always, they only ever talk about the bad things he did. But did you know that he did this and he set up a free school lunch program for uh, kids that were in poor communities? And it, it really was quite the presentation. But on the day that they rolled around, everyone in the class showed up and they were, most of the boys were wearing like their dad's hat. The girls were wearing these extravagant dresses, makeup. Someone was, uh, Cleopatra, there was all sorts of figures. And so what I ended up wearing was my dad's striped suit jacket, which was enormous, like it probably went down to my knees. I was wearing black pants, black shoes. I put my hair up in a ponytail and then flipped it on the, laid it on the top of my head. And then Um, I, of course, I needed a hat. How else was I going to be Al Capone? And so the only option that I had in terms of hats in my house was my sister had a sparkly sequined dance fedora from her tap recital the previous year. And so I put that on. I was feeling good about myself. And I remember walking in the classroom, and I know this is supposed to be a positive story, But everyone was like, "Uh uh-huh, because it was just so other. I did not match the environment. My teacher just, she thought it was the best thing ever. She took probably 70 photos of me. And I think in subsequent years, kids that I didn't know would come up to me and were like, were you the one that did the Al Capone project? Because this teacher keeps talking about it and she brings it up every year as one of her favorite projects and she kept my poster board. But I think the thing that I felt in that moment, which was the reason that I wanted to share this story, is that even though I looked absolutely ridiculous, like wearing the oversized pinstripe suit and with the dance fedora, I felt so good about myself. I was so awkward in middle school, and that was a moment where I remember feeling that this was how I was supposed to look, and this is what I was supposed to wear. And like I said earlier, dressing up has always been really special to me. Uh, Sophomore year of high school, I got another taste of it. I I dressed up as uh, Edward Scissorhands for Halloween, and then this past year, I revisited the costume again, except now I actually had 
the short hair required to, I guess, I don't know if cosplay is the right word, but I went all out with it. Um, and then this year I also did another costume uh, as young Leo, obviously Leonardo DiCaprio, uh, from the Romeo plus Juliet Baz Luhrmann version. And I think those were the two moments this year I have felt the most secure in my gender presentation because Halloween was a time where the rest of the world is okay with you dressing up and uh, changing your gender presentation because it's a costume. And I think it always was more than that for me. Uh, I currently identify as non-binary. I'm still figuring out a lot. Um, and I use they, them pronouns, but I always was just thrilled to be dressing up. And I guess that's all I have to say on that is like, there's so much joy and euphoria and getting to wear what you want, even if it is for what seems like a childish motive or for a project or Halloween. It really allowed me to explore myself at an age where I had no clue what was going on. So thank you for letting me share my story. Thank you very much, Kelly. I love that story every time I listen to it. It's so funny. We also had at the end there a recording I made at the band conversion therapy protest outside Downing Street, which I'll kind of be bringing in and out throughout the podcast. So next up we have Ollie, pronouns he, him, and his location is Colchester in Essex, UK. I am a trans man and I came out four years ago to the day of recording this, actually, so it's my trans birthday. I came out initially to friends a lot of the time after a few too many drinks, but at this point I was still presenting female and I wasn't ready to dive into a full social transition, but the story that I want to tell is when I came out to my mum and then the world. So after Trans Day of Visibility in 2018, I decided I'd had enough of waiting around and I was just going to do it. So on the 5th of April 2018, my trans birthday, I text my mum saying, can you come upstairs so I can talk to you? I have something I need to tell you. So in she came. Um, I was sat on the bed and she came and sat next to me and we both faced the wall. I couldn't look at her, I couldn't look her in the eyes. Um, and she put her arm around me and she was like, come on then, talk to me, you know, what's up? And I said, Mum, it's not anything good. I just want you to know that it's not anything good and I'm not sure how you're going to take it. So at this point, I could see her slightly worrying. 
So she hugs me, and eventually, after a few minutes of silence, I just said, um, so I'm not happy being a girl, and I never have been happy being a girl. And then there was silence, so I was panicking a bit at this point, like, what have I done? How am I going to take this back? Like, I've made a mistake here. And she just says, okay. And then follows up with a million questions, like, so many questions, like, have you chosen a name? Should we go and get your hair cut tomorrow? Do we need to go to the doctor? Do you want me to tell your dad? Do you want me to tell your school? But every single question she asked was out of pure love and acceptance, and they were all forward-focused. You know, she didn't ask me any of those questions, like, how long have you known, or why didn't you tell me before, or anything like that. She just wanted to know how best to support me going forward. So four years down the line, I am on testosterone, and she has raised over £6,000 for my top surgery, um, what's hilarious about this story to me is that when we talk about it now, she she was like, I was terrified. You know, I thought you'd done something awful. I thought you were in trouble. She was like, why can't you just tell me? That's not that's not a bad thing, Ollie. I'm quite excited about it, you know? Um, so that is the story of me and my mum who accepted me being trans more than I accepted myself being trans. Um is the entire reason that I'm as far into my journey as I am. Thank you for letting me tell my story. Thank you very much for your contribution, Ollie. Next up, we have Kit, whose pronouns are he, they, and their location is Leeds, West Yorkshire, UK. My name is Kit, I'm 22. I live in England and I use the pronouns he, they, identify as a man and I also identify as non-binary and I also use the term trans to describe myself. Uh, My gender journey has been a really rocky one. Um, I remember starting off with she they pronouns to they them pronouns and now I use he they pronouns and that's okay because I think discovering who you are along the way even if you get it wrong sometimes, is is still a great part of, like, understanding yourself and, like, the process of your gender journey. Um, I'm not out to any of my family. I'm not in a position where I'd be safe to do that. Um, I do dream of being on my own and being able to tell my family who I really am. I'd be completely out. Um, and then if they're upset with it or they don't accept me that it doesn't matter and I have so many friends who are so supportive and support every pronoun change and every name change and every way that I describe myself every you know terms they use the gender terms and I'm just really grateful for the friends that I have and I wish my family could be as supportive
Thank you very much, Kit. Next up, we have Gabe, whose pronouns are he, him, and his location is London. Hi, my name is Gabriel Bevanger. I am 28 years old, and I was born and raised in Brazil. And I came to the UK in 2017 to do my second BA because it completely changed um, the focus of my career. And not long after getting here, I started questioning my gender identity and sexuality. Uh, before transitioning, I would um, perceive myself as a lesbian woman, and it's completely changed. Um, but being in London um, has enabled me to become who I am. And I don't think I would have been able to transition uh, had I not moved here. Um, Coming from Brazil means that I know very well the difficulty that LGBTQ plus people face and how dangerous it is to be um, a trans man uh, back there or just a trans individual in general. And Brazil is just one of the most, if not the most dangerous uh, countries uh, for transgender individuals to live in. Um, according to a website called uh, Brazil de Fato, 175 trans women were murdered in Brazil in 2019, and that's an increase of 41% compared to the previous year. And I'm definitely not saying that things are perfect in, uh, perfect in the UK, and I know very well that we are nowhere near perfect. Um, however... Um, in the UK, I would say I actually feel safe. Um, I don't feel like I have to fear for my life every single day. And living in London has given me the opportunity to actually feel like I belong somewhere because of the big queer community that we have here. And to me, feeling respected and valued in my workplace, regardless of my gender identity, would just be almost unimaginable back home, with very few exceptions. But again, because I medically transitioned in the UK, um, I did get to experience the worst part of the healthcare system and how expensive and almost unfeasible it is to go through the private route. And 
you know, still today, I just, <laughs> I battle with my GP every single time I need to get my testosterone prescriptions. And even after chasing them and sending countless emails and calling, somewhere in the system, my pre-transition gender and names, they're just still there, which basically means that every single time I go to get my bloods done, I get that named and I just find myself in such an uncomfortable situation because it says F on the blood form. And then when I walk in, the practitioner must be probably asking themselves, like, did I just call the right person in? Like, what's going on? And then I have to explain the whole situation and basically out myself so that they know that I'm the right person. And, it, you know, it's just really, really frustrating. And then after that, every single time I get my results, um, then my GP gets in touch with me to let me know that, uh, because they want to discuss the results because uh, my testosterone levels are just too high for the female, female range. And like, I mean, that's exactly the point. That's why I'm on testosterone. Uh, but you know, it, it's just a bit ridiculous, really. Uh, the whole process is just exhausting and it's just really hard to find people in the healthcare field um, that are actually educated about our rights, or existence and how to treat us as patients, which is a bit weird because, you know, I would, I would expect more people uh, working in the NHS to have that knowledge. Um, but, you know, it's just also worth it. And I've been on testosterone since November 2019, and I still haven't seen all the changes that are about to come. Uh, for some reason, my body just takes a really long time to process Nibido. And instead of getting my shots every um, 12 weeks, which is like three months, I usually get them every six or seven or even nine months apart. Um, which is a good thing, like it means that my testosterone stays high for a very long time, but it also means that the physical changes, they take way longer than expected. And at this point, after, let's say, I don't know, two and a half years on testosterone, I'm just starting to see my facial hair come through. I do have some on my chin, but that's about it. And, you know, th that basically means I still have a lot to be excited about, I hope. And to be honest, I just cannot wait until I get a full beard. Um, but now I already pass, I would say, 100%. And somehow I pass as cis. And the thing is, like, I wanted to pass. Uh, but now I don't, I just, I want to pass but not as cis. I don't know if that's a thing. I don't know, like, if that makes any sense at all. Uh, it probably doesn't, and sometimes I just pass it straight as well, which is, you know, it, I'm not straight. And, um, yeah, but, you know, I'm just still trying to figure out how to navigate my masculinity and how to present myself to the world now that I'm read by people um, as male. And my transition is probably... It's probably the most, impar most important part of my life. And I I'm just really proud of it. And that comes with the top surgery as well. Uh, to me, it was always extremely important to, being able, to be able to medically transition. 
And I know it's not the case uh, to everyone, but it was in my case. Um, and it really has changed my life. It, it changed my life, my self-confidence, the way I hold myself in public. And even though it's a bit heavy, you know, because you have to relearn, let's say, how to... Um, how to act in certain environments for your own safety. And that's me going back to the point again. I, you know, I understand that things are really not perfect in the UK, but obviously comparing to where I'm from, it's just much better. Uh, but even here, sometimes I feel like I have to behave a certain way for my own safety. And still, um, I think I'm one of the lucky ones because I had my family support and... I never really had any issues. I've been dead named. I had, you know, the struggle with my GP and so on. Um, and, well, that's me not saying I've not had any issues. I have. Uh, but I mean, as in, like, I've never really felt for my uh, for my safety. Um, and I wish this was the case to everyone. And um, I would just say that transitioning changes you fundamentally as an individual because it's really not that many people in this world who can say they've had this experience and I feel really lucky for being able to tell my story you know because I know that many people in my country they're not here to tell their stories and at the same time I do imagine how <laughs> curious some people must be about whites actually like to experience the world for um from two completely different perspectives like this is a to me at least a once in a lifetime thing and um i'm, I'm lucky i feel lucky for being able to do it and you know i think that's just one of the many little things that makes us special Thank you very much, Gabe. I think that's a really interesting concept in terms of us as trans people being able to live life from multiple different perspectives and the kind of different social norms and gender norms that come along with that. Thank you very much. Next up, we have another Kit, but this time from Wyoming, Ohio, USA, whose pronouns are they, them. I found out that I was queer through a group of friends. Um, I didn't, I hadn't known any gay person before that, and it slowly devolved into me being just the ultimate queer person in both sexuality and gender, and just being a weird person. And it all started in my hometown uh, in Ohio, and I wouldn't trade that experience for the world. It was hard and it wasn't fun most of the time, but it's made me who I am and I'm incredibly proud of that.
Thank you very much, Kit. And obviously they were led out with some more audio from the conversion abuse protest, which this time had some of the moving speeches that were made during the protest. Hopefully you'll be able to um, make them out during the clapping and the cheering. Next up, we have Lucius, whose pronouns are he, him, and his location is Bristol, UK. Hi everyone, my name's Lucius. Mum made hype on Instagram. I started transitioning in Bristol, where I'm from, my hometown. Um, there was no one like myself, especially from our urban culture. I didn't really have anyone to kind of, I don't know how to pull it, a role model in a sense, um, someone I could turn to. Um, all male people in my life was quite abusive and toxic. I used to get in a lot of trouble, was confused, lost. People would call me a lesbian. Um, I knew I wasn't a lesbian. I started transitioning in 2014. I met a guy called Lee whilst I was inside who helped me to understand kind of something that I wasn't, I don't know, alien. Um, my family are Seventh-day Adventist Christians, so they used to call me the devil and stuff. Um, they didn't understand that, you know, you don't choose to be transgender. Thank you very much, Lucius. Unfortunately, his audio was cut off slightly at the end there, which is unfortunate. But thank you very much regardless. Next up, we have Danica, whose pronouns are she, they, and her location is split between two. It's Leytonstone, London, and Venice, Italy. Hi, my name's Danica. My pronouns are she, they. I am 32 years old, and I came out when I was 30. Um, I wanted to talk to you guys about my three egg cracks. My fellow trans people will know what an egg crack is. For those who are not aware, it's when internally you start to realize that something's not quite uh, like quite right with your gender, your gender presentation, the way the world perceives you, and it's kind of the impetus that leads you towards coming out and living your truth. Um, so I've had three of those because it took me three attempts to actually be able to come out and become the person that I was meant to be. So we'll start at the beginning. I was four years old. We were driving from where I was born in Gloucester to northern Germany to visit some family friends for Christmas. Um, this was back in like 1993. Um, there was no special in-car entertainment for a bunch of small children, and so we had books on tape. Um, the one that resonates with me um, is The Little Red Riding Hood, and it's worth noting that this story I'm telling you is my first memory. It's when I came online, it's when I became a person. Before this, I have no memory of sentience. So. We sat there listening to this story and I can hear the narrator in my head telling the part with the, my grandma, what big teeth you have. And it struck me that someone or something could present other than what it was predetermined to be and that people would just go with it and take it seriously. And I felt deep within my core a sensation of something's not right. Something needs to change. I need, like, something needs to happen. Um, in the years following that, I 
played a lot with a toy that I had um, called Red Ted because it was a teddy bear that was red. It was given to me at birth and was something that I had with me at all times until I lost him as an early teenager. But that bear became kind of like my gender presentation voodoo doll where I would dress the bear up in various often femme clothing, give it various femme names, and play out these various, you know, very girly ways of playing with toys. Um, in hindsight, it's vaguely hilarious that my parents were blindsided by my coming out. Um, but yeah, I kind of was kind of unaware of gender and, and all of that up until I was about when I was 12, 13 years old, entering high school, and the other boys, I guess, would bring in would bring in like, you know, porn magazines and stuff, which the teachers put a stop to very quickly, but they hadn't caught on to the hentai books that people were bringing in. And so we were shown all sorts of um, very explicit things in the anime style that had me very confused. I grew very sheltered and very, um, restricted life up to that point and you know people would be looking oh look at the ass on her and I would just be like I don't get it that's where she poops from <laughs> in hindsight extremely innocent um but I remember seeing the way that they looked at women and while it was very creepy it was very enticing to me. I wanted to be desired in that way. And this persisted through my teenage years as I became aware of the girls around me, my, you know, my classmates and stuff going through their own puberties and growing into their own bodies and just kind of not getting what I was supposed to be feeling about this because what I mainly felt was envy of why why is my body going this way and yours is going that way um obviously again just being extremely repressed from a religious household i didn't know how to express this properly um and so as my unfortunately male puberty kicked in and testosterone started picking up i developed quite an anger problem um and would get very angry at women for reasons that I didn't understand were actually envy and not this very, you know, shut-in, angry teenage loner boy kind of vibe that you can you can picture. Um, so I was able to kind of repress that for a long time, um, went through my adult life kind of not thinking of myself, making sure my focal point was always on others, to avoid having to confront what I want. And then me and my wife were in Venice. She loves Italy. We try to go to Italy every time it's her birthday in late September. It's when the weather is still nice out there, but it's not overwhelmingly hot. It's after all of the kids have gone back to school, so there's no families out there traveling. It's just a really nice time to go. Um, and so we like to go to Venice at that time. And this was 2019, late September, we're in Venice, we've been out for the day going through, you know, the art festival that's out there, um, and we get back at the end of the day, 
and I go into the bedroom to change out my outdoor clothes into my indoor clothes. Um, and in the bedroom on one of the walls was a like closet that occupied like the full floor to ceiling and it was on my side of the bed and the doors of this closet were made entirely of mirrors so you got a picture that one entire wall of this bedroom is mirror and it's facing my side of the bed so as i take my clothes off to get changed into my indoor clothes i just kind of turn and see myself head to toe naked for the first time possibly ever um or at least in a conscious state and i saw it and my entire world changed in that moment and my mind was like this 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 will not do this will not do um took some time to emotionally process it and then went out into the living room where my wife was pouring us some wine because she's great like that and I very sheepishly asked if I could try on some of her clothes and she kind of had a response of you finally figured it out I'm proud of you um you know so I tried on some of her clothes and it felt so right I don't know that I felt the euphoria in that moment because I was still very confused but I it felt right um and then I kind of, we didn't talk about it for the coming days. Um, we just enjoyed our holiday. Um, when we got back, she had to go off to Madrid to perform. Um, I wasn't going with her. So she basically took out some of her older clothes that she doesn't wear much and was just like, you can try these on while I'm away. You know, I love you and you can, you know, I hope that you're able to figure this out. And so I, I spent some time over the next few days trying on clothes, taking pictures, all of that, and came back with the conclusion that I needed, I needed to transition in some way. Spent a very brief period wondering if I might be non-binary, gender fluid or something, um, of which there were some vaguely hilarious photos of a kind of bearded lady-looking goth creature, which are quite the sight to behold. <laughs> Um, before realizing that no, my womanhood really needed to come to the fore and I've been able to embrace that. It's been at this point two years and about four months since I came out and as much as this country doesn't always feel safe for us and there's a lot to be concerned about, I have never been happier. I have never been more satisfied with myself. The fact that I'm willing to put myself on camera like this should be a credit to that because anyone who knew me before would know that I would avoid the camera at all costs. So yeah, this kind of just the long journey it took for me to learn to love myself and learn to grow into the person that I needed to be. And if there's anyone out there who thinks that they're too old for it, I was vaguely told that as well, and look at me now. So, yeah, just keep going. You are so loved. And, yeah, stay safe. Thank you very much, Danica. And with a really important message at the end there, that you are loved and stay safe. Thank you very much for tuning into this first episode of the Transmaps podcast. 
in episodes to come, we will have more stories as the map is updated and more contributions come in, which I'm very much looking forward to. To lead us out, um, I have the final section of the audio from the conversion therapy protest. Thank you very much for listening. Bye. Everybody's face is down in 